As we are going through many uh, ayat quickly over some of the beautiful lessons, um, continuing with Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, without going too much detail, He gives a, uh, the story of Musa alayhi salam. Musa alayhi salam's story comes throughout the Quran in different places. One particular scene of Musa alayhi salam that is mentioned here, is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Musa said to his people, O oh people, remember the blessings of Allah upon you. Amongst you he has created, he has sent many prophets. And he has made you kings. Amongst you there are prophets. And he made you as kings. Because kingship was passed through lineage. So the king, and by default, his son would be a king and, and, and then his grandson would be a king. But prophethood is not something that by default is through lineage. That is why the wording is changed. Some of them, amongst you, Allah sent prophets and he made kings as well. And he granted you so many blessings that he did not give other people. Now, after reminding them of the favors, Musa Islam tells them, يَا قُومِ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Oh my people, you have now been commanded to enter into this territory of uh, uh, after they had passed through Egypt, now they were commanded to enter into the territory of where today Canaan is, Palestine is. Uh, Allah has decreed this for you. Do not turn on your backs. You will return back as losers. So they were commanded to go forward, and what was their response? The enemy was uh, physically very strong, they were huge giants. So they said, قَالُوا يَا مُوسَىٰ إِنَّ فِيهَا قَوْمًا جَبَّارِينَ They said, O oh Musa, there, where you're telling us to go, there are strong, tough uh, people. This is the same nation later on uh, that we had the king Jalut in, in the Bible known as Goliath that Dawud killed with his slingshot. So these are big, giant people. We cannot enter into this land until they first vacated for us. If they leave it, then we are ready to go there. Yani, when there's no one to fight, and you just go and occupy a freed area, we'll do that. But not to fight for this land. There were two people, Yusha ibn Nun, the nephew of Musa salam, and Harun salam. They used to fear Allah Ta'ala. They told them, Allah had favored these two individuals. Besides Musa salam, there were two other members. They said, that no, you must f- comply with the order of the Prophet Musa salam. If you make the intention and you go forward, then you will be successful. And upon Allah, you should rely if you are true believers. Have your reliance on Allah. They said, O oh Musa, we will never ever enter there. As long as these people are there. They already said it the first time, but then after there was a second um, advice given to them by uh, other than the Nabi of Allah, Yusha alayhi salam, who became Nabi later on, and Harun alayhi salam. Yusha ibn Nun is the famous one who was traveling with Musa alayhi salam in the story of Khidr in Surah Al-Kahf. His nephew with Qala Musa li Fatahu. He was a young man. He became a prophet afterwards. These two, they said, 
uh, a second time. So they were given advice second time, second round. Again, they said no way. Look, now the the, uh, the verbs they're using, the word, the verbiage, the language is even more emphatic, more ta'kid, uh, emphasis. We will never, ever, ever go in that area where you are commanding us to go as long as they are there. You and your Lord, you guys go figure it out. You fight it out. We are going to sit back here. So Musa Islam became very despondent and he cried. And he said, He said, Oh my Rabb, I cannot. Uh, control these people, they're not listening to me. Only one who is listening to me, I am responsible for myself. and my brother. Please separate us from these Fasiq individuals. So this is right at the end of the long story of Musa This is right in his final days. So Allah Ta'ala, at this point he got so despondent because there were a lot of things that happened before this point. A lot of problems they gave him. From the beginning till the end, they gave him a lot of problems. Allah Ta'ala in fact mentions in general, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَوْ دُوزُوا بَلِيفُ لَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ آذُوا مُوسَى Don't be like those who tortured my Nabi Musa alayhi salam. Don't become like them. They gave adhiyah, they gave pain to Musa alayhi salam. So at the end he says here, this is actually happens to be the final chapter in the life of Musa Islam. This is right before he dies, this happens. When he says, finally, I, I can't handle these people anymore. Fafruq baynana wa baynal qawmil fasiqeen. Please separate me and these fasiq people. I don't want to stay in their company even. Allah Ta'ala says, qala fa'innaha muharramatun alihim arba'ina sana. Allah says that the promised land is going to be haram, forbidden for them to enter it for 40 years. Yatihuna fil ard. In the Sinai Peninsula, between Egypt and Palestine, they were roaming around. They will be roaming around in the earth, getting lost for 40 years. Do not be disheartened by the way these Fasi people are treating you. So, one very interesting comparison is that it's not only a comparison we can do or the scholars of Tafsir have done, but rather um, the Sahaba themselves. Uh, they quoted this ayah where in the night before the battle of Badr in the night before the battle of Badr when some of the background of the battle of Badr we covered a few nights ago when we talked about in the fourth juz we know that the sahaba were intentionally by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made to leave their homes unprepared and they were going to just retrieve their stolen goods and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them face the army so the night before the battle Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he asked the sahaba radiyallahu anhu ajma'in that what is your plan now that we had planned something and Allah had planned something else for us you wanted just to get your caravan back but we need Allah Allah wanted to establish the truth and establish the falsehood and show the help of Allah with the truth against falsehood so he made sure you left home without any means so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam addressed the Sahaba and asked them, what's the plan? What is your mashwara? What should we do? So the Muhajirun, they were always in front and they are the ones who took the lead and they are the ones who responded. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, we will be in your front and you're behind and your right and left and we will be with you. Do not worry. And then Nabi Sallallahu asked the second time. Then the Muhajirun replied. When he asked the third time, then finally the Ansar, they understood. Uh, by default, they felt included in that response because they were like one. 
the muhajirun and ansar were like one allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had granted them such mutual love and muhabbat and sacrifice for one another that they had become stronger than brothers and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in the quran that ya yeah, uh, nabi of allah law anfaqta ma fil ardi jami'a if you would like to spend all the money in the world to purchase their loyalty and love ma alafta bayna qulubihim you would never be able to unite them walakin allah alafa baynahum it is allah who united their hearts so we know the ansar what did they do they gave half of their properties away half of their gardens away half of their homes away half of all of their savings away and even in fact they said you know if you need a wife then if i have two wives whichever one you like you can marry her i'll divorce her and you can marry her but no muhajir ever accepted that offer no muhajir ever asked an ansari go ahead divorce such and such wife people mention the offer but they don't mention the fact that offer was never accepted subhanallah for on record it was never accepted by any muhajir how could a muhajir say to an ansari brother that yeah okay go ahead divorce this one naud billah this is a great sacrifice on their part that they even uh, um, said such words considering the fact that how they were divided amongst themselves prior to islam allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about that as well he reminds them the before and after picture how you were before islam remember the favor of allah upon you when you were enemies of one another you're out to kill one another allah created love between your hearts put ulfa then you have become brothers allah ta'ala says you didn't be, it doesn't say ka ikhwana like brothers he said you became brothers actual brothers you were on the edge of the pit of the fire of jahannam ready to fall inside so you're on the edge and literally falling down and allah saved you from that point so the muhaji the ansar they never felt that hey we need to give a specific special response because we're different we're distinct we're different people no we're all the same somebody speaks on our behalf it's for everyone but then the ansar the leaders of the ansar were saad ibn muadh and saad ibn ubadah the two saad because there were two tribes in the ansar the aws and the khazraj the leader of the aws was saad ibn muadh and the leader of the khazraj was saad ibn ubadah the saadan so the two saads they understood that oh nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam probably wants to specifically hear from us our response and the reason he wants to specifically hear from us that reason also never never crossed their minds and why what was that reason the reason is because now they have given uh, themselves up for the deen of allah with their heart and soul and life and blood and sweat and tears and children and assets and abilities and capabilities and every breath is given up for deen of allah and for deen of islam for rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so the original terms of the contract that they had signed in the original agreement that language the legal document that they had signed and those technicalities uh, was far in the past so it was never something that they were even considering but nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam wanted to hear from them because based on the original pact at the bay'ah aqaba and the pledge he took from them was that if madina is attacked then you will defend me and right now they are hundreds of kilometers away from madina in the middle of the desert in the where the wells of badr are between makka and madina so per the original pact in the agreement they are not mandated or legally responsible to fight they could just escape the next day or in the middle of the night and they have not violated the terms of the not a treaty per se but terms of the agreement they did not violate the agreement because the agreement says that if if madina city of madina is attacked we will defend you and we are not in the city of 
Medina. So that's why Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam wanted to hear from them that are you really ready or not? But they had signed that in the beginning when they had privately met Rasulullah sallallahu in a hidden valley called Aqaba on the side of Mina. When Nabi sallallahu alaihi would be going to the camps and saying, "Man yawini, man yansuruni, who will heal my call? Who will aid my mission?" He's going to the different tribes in Hajj. And the reason that the Aus and Khazraj, the Ansaris, when they heard that, what actually made it easier for them to accept the truth is because they had already been prepped. Psychologically, they were already aware of the entire concept, which was a novel new idea about a prophet coming and a final prophet, and he's going to receive revelation. And they were already aware of these ideas. Because of whom? The Yehud. Because they were living with the Yehud in Medina, and the Yehud of Medina were always telling them, you know why we are here, the Banu Qaynuqa and the Banu Qurayda and the Banu Nadir, the three Jewish tribes in Medina, were always telling them, min qablu kafaru. They used to say the final prophet is coming and we're going to believe in him and with his support we're going to defeat you. So strange what happened. We will, they used to make tawassul, yastaftihuna. They used to seek victory in the name of the final prophet who is going to come to Medina. And with him, under his leadership, we will defeat you, O Mushrikun. Who is saying that? Because the Ansar were Bedouin Mushrikun and the Yehud were followers of Musa in the Torah. So they had heard about this. Nabi is coming and Nabi is coming, going to come to Medina. And that was already mentally preparing them, setting the stage for them. So when they heard this, they connected the dots and they said, Oh, this is the same one the Yehud have been talking about. Let's beat the Yehud and let's go and accept Islam. So then they took that pledge. Part of that pledge was uh, that, subhanAllah, you will have to defend Medina. Now at that occasion, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he went for the pledge, along with him was his uncle, Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, who was a Muslim, but was an undercover Muslim. And he remained in Makkah when everyone else made hijrah to Medina. And he would give the information of Makkah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So he stayed back in Makkah as a believer on behalf of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When they were at, about to take the pledge, and he is the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa paternal uncle, and his father, Abdullah's brother, he said to the Ansar who were there, wait a second, you guys are ready to take this pledge. Do you know what you're signing on to? Think about it before you sign the dotted line. Then he said, what, what are you saying? What do you mean? We are signing on to accepting him as our prophet. So then Abbas said that when you sign this line, dotted line, or when you take the pledge, put your hand in the hand of Rasulullah be ready that all the tribes of Arab will be against you. You will be alone, you will have to defend him. And your wives will end up becoming widows. And your children will end up becoming orphans. And you will have significant financial loss. And you're going to have to support this mission. And you're going to be all alone. And the people of Makkah are against you. The capital of the Arabian Peninsula is against you. And all the tribes are going to be against you. Are you ready for this? So then they asked Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi They looked at him and they said, Oh my God, should we actually put, continue with this or not? So he said, Ya Rasulullah, this your uncle is saying this. Is this true what he's saying? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi did not sugarcoat it. He said, it is true what he's saying. Then, then they said, Ya Rasulullah, okay, so that's one side of the deal. Children will become orphans. Wives will become widows. Wealth will be destroyed. The entire Arabia will be against us. Okay, we heard that. What is in return for that? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, the return for that is my companionship in Jannah. So all of the Ansar, they put their hands right away. They said, Ya Rasulullah, 
if you can have your companionship in Jannah, we are ready to put your hand right away. So they put their hands and said, Ya Rasulullah, we take your bay'ah. That is called the bay'atul aqaba. That's why Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, even though he, uh, he says that, uh, that people of Badr, rightfully so, not to say they are proud, proud is not the right word, but they are very, um, they are very thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah ta'ala selected them to be among the 313. 313 of Badr. And Allah has granted them a, a great honor. Allah looked upon them and said, You are free, do whatever you want. Jannah is wajib for you. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised the 313 of Badr. So he says that even though I missed that opportunity, but I feel that since I was part of the pledge of Aqaba, I feel that to be an even greater honor. And I am thankful Allah ta'ala allowed me to be part of that pledge, which actually precedes the battle of of Badr. So that was that pledge they had taken. And in that pledge, they had promised that if Medina is attacked, we will defend you. And now they are outside of Medina. They are in Badr. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked them the third time. So then the Ansar, Khatib al-Ansar stood up. He said, Ya Rasulullah. Then he quoted this ayah. This is the link with this ayah. He said, We are not like the Bani Israel. The Bani Israel, they told you, They told Musa, You and your Lord, you go and fight it out. We're going to sit back here. Ya Rasulullah, do you think we are like the Bani Israel? Ya Rasulullah, if you tell us to jump from the top of the mountains, we'll jump from the top of the mountains. If you tell us to jump straight into the ocean, we'll jump straight into the ocean. So we are with you, heart and soul, life and wealth and property, honor, children, everything we have sacrificed for the deen. Why are you hesitating? Let us go forward as you command. We will be with you and we will surround you with our skulls and our heads will be decapitated, but we will never let anything touch your body. So this is the dedication of the Ansar and the Sahaba in general we see compared with the behavior of the Banu Israel with Musa salam. that is why even in the language we see when Musa salam went up to the water and behind him is who? the army of Fir'aun and in front of them is the water the people of Banu Israel they're complaining he said Ya Musa inna ala mudrakoon O Musa we are captured al bahru amamana the ocean in front of us wal jayshu wara'ana and the army behind us so they're just losing hope every second, every step of the way. So Musa said, Kalla, don't worry, inna ma'iya rabbi. With me is my Lord. Say hadini, he will guide me. With me. And whereas when Abu Bakr asked Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, we are stuck in the cave. And the mushrikun are so near the cave, the cave, the entrance. Which cave? God of Thor. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, there's nowhere further back for us to go. If anyone just happens to look down at his feet, something's scratching, you look at his feet, then he will see us because it was a decline down. Just has to look at his feet, I can't go further back. Nowhere to hide. Where am I going to hide? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Oh Abu Bakr, what do you think about two, the third of whom is Allah? The third of the two. Two you see, one you don't see. Normally, you know, if there's like five people, you'll say first of the five, second, third, fourth, fifth of the five. How do you have a sixth of the five? How do you have a third of the two? Right? So, subhanAllah, it's a very unique wording. Third of the two. Third of the two, there's shaitan, and third of the two is Rahman. There's two scenarios. Third of the two is Rahman is in the cave. Third of the two is shaitan when there are two ajnabis. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said when there's, a, uh, when there's a, four, a strange non-mahram male and a female together, the same wording is there in that hadith. The third of the two is Shaitan. If there is a male and a female in khalwa that are not related, uh, mahram, they're non-mahram, thalithuhuma ash-shaitan. The third of the two is 
shaitan. And when Abu Bakr and, um, uh, and Rasulullah sallallahu were in the cave, the thalithuhuma, the third of the two was Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in the Quran. Idhuma fil ghar, when they're in the cave, idhi qulu li sahibihi, remember when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa told his companion Abu Bakr, la tahzan, do not worry, inna Allah ma'ana, Allah is with us. So Musa al-Islam told Bani Israel, Allah is with me. And Rasulullah sallallahu tells Abu Bakr, Allah is with us. He didn't say with me, he said with us. Well, you see the distinction in the language. That the help of Allah that was with Rasulullah was also extended to the Sahaba. And the help of Allah that was with Musa salam was not necessarily extended to the Bani Israel. So they are, Anbiya are different levels. And the followers of the Anbiya are also different levels. Just like our Nabi is the greatest Nabi, then the Sahaba of our Nabi are the greatest of the Sahaba. So amongst the ranks of the Anbiya, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam is Sayyidul Anbiya, Sayyidul Awwaleen Akhirin, He's Afdalul Mursaleen. So likewise amongst the Ummas and the disciples, Isa salam had helpers too. You know, Isa salam said, Man Ansari, Allah. Who's going to help me for the sake of Allah? He had Ansar. Hawariyan said, we are the Ansar of Allah. We are there to help you. So they were great. I mean, they were awesome. They were phenomenal. And they were asking, you know, when he asked for something, they said, oh, anzil alina ma'idatam min sama Bring down the food. Allah Ta'ala sent the food for them. They were great people. However, amongst the Ansar and amongst the Sahaba of the Anbiya, which are the best Sahaba, cannot be better than the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is an amazing comparison we can do between the Sahaba of Rasulullah and the companions of Musa alayhi salam in these ayat. Moving forward, Allah Ta'ala gives the example, Watlu alayhim is a command. Tell them, tell them the story. Recite unto them. Tilawa. This ayah 27. Surah Ma'idah. Naba abnay Adam abilhaq. The story of the two sons of Adam. This is a, it's a long story. Just uh, what's in the Quran is, is quite a bit. And then the further details are in the books of tarikh and books of hadith so they were two brothers Habil and Qabil so uh, the one that uh, Habil was supposed to marry Qabil who, who had an attachment with her and for that purpose what did he do he wanted to marry her then uh, Adam asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what to do Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that they should both present their Sacrifice, Qurbani. It qarraba qurbanan. Fatukubbila min ahadihima. Allah Ta'ala accepted from the one. Walam yutakabbal min al akhar. Did not accept from the other. Who did he accept? Habil. Habil uh, brought the best sheep that he had from his flock. And Qabil, he brought some uh, weeds and some dried grains that were not worth anything. So this is another reminder for us that when we give in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should give from what? The best. You can never attain piety until you spend from that which you love the most. And imagine the Sahabi Rasulullah Abu Talha when he hears this, he says, Ya Rasulullah, I have Biruha, my most beloved garden. It has the sweetest water, the most beautiful orchard, and beautiful shade. Can you imagine the scene? When this ayah is revealed, he goes and he goes and in that beautiful garden, you can imagine it's sunny Medina and it's a beautiful garden and it's probably dark inside because of the shade of the trees. That's what the Jannah means Jim and Noon means anything that has Jim and Noon means is hidden. So, like the jinn is hidden, you don't see it. And Janin is the fetus inside the womb of the mother. And Junna is the shield that you hide behind, and etc. etc. So, Jannah actually means such a garden in which the trees, the branches of the trees are so close that the sunlight does not penetrate through the foliage to the ground and is dark on the ground. That's the literal, like, etymological meaning of the root word of the word Jannah. So inside the Jannah, it's dark. And in the shade of the Jannah, 
of the garden, the Jannah on the earth. His wife and his children, imagine they're playing and, uh, and relaxing in the afternoon. And he comes in from outside, he says, get out, get out, leave. This doesn't belong to us anymore. He tells his wife and children, you would rather jump in there and have fun with your wife and kids. And he says, leave, 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 leave this. We have given this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is hatta tunfiqoo mimma tuhibboon. Allah Ta'ala says Do not intend to spend the low quality things You give the low quality things in the path of Allah If you were given it, you would not accept it yourself means You would uh, frown and close your eyes and say Oh nasty, this is, what is this? You would not take it like that And then you want to give that in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is the problem with donation centers, frankly speaking, that there's so much uh, difficulty that we, they end up receiving what? Things worthy of being discarded is given in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You say, oh, we don't, we don't, you know, I don't want to bother doing a garage sale, putting on eBay and a hassle, let me just donate it. Right? So yani, we are not necessarily doing a collection center here, but we also end up having um, torn books, torn things, all kinds of random stuff, the people just come and drop it off boxes here in this masjid as well. Imagine. So then we have to go through, it's, it's an additional hassle because there are sacred documents, name of Allah, and then we have to go and bury it. And, you know, find somebody else who comes here, please, Mustafa, I need community service because I, I was, you know, whatever, DUI or whatever it is. So, for Allah, Razim. So, now we say, okay, bhai, get a, a shovel and go bury this, right? Community service because somebody else dumped it on uh, uh, on the masjid, right? So we are we, we should not do that. We, whatever is the best thing, Abu Dhar Ghifari radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, you know, he would give the best thing. It was very very hard to stay with him. So people would not he would not be able to retain employees very long because not everyone could stand up to his standard. So he hired someone and then he said, okay, there are few rules. You got to follow the rules. No, rule number one, when I tell you to give something in the path of Allah, you have to give what? The best thing. He said, okay, that's simple enough. Shortly thereafter, what happened? Somebody came and asked for um, some food. So, he's, so uh, he, he said, okay, go there and he will, he, will, uh, he will give it to you. So the servant went and he saw that there was one camel that was really good for riding. It was strong and it was a good breed and it has stamina. And there was another one. It was good. Now you're going to slaughter it. So he slaughtered the second quality one and gave it for the food. And then when he came in, he got so mad. He said, you know, you're fired. <laughs> right? Because what did I tell you? I just told you one rule. He said, no, no, no. You're supposed to uh, give. He said, what does it make a difference? I said, Hatta whatever is the best thing. I want to give the best thing in the path of Allah. Don't bring your rationality here, or rationale that, oh, this, this is for writing and this one. So, so this, was, this is the jazba, this is the um, enthusiasm, this is the spirit of the Sahaba anhum. That, you know, at the end of the day, Rasulullah said that, Yaqulu ibn Adam, ibn Adam, son of Adam, says, Mali, 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 my wealth, my wealth, my wealth. The only thing actually belongs to him, you eat it, consume it. You know, you eat it, it turns, you know, into glucose and, uh, and, and powers your cells of your body, <laughs> the energy. Or, and the excreta goes out. That's one. Labisa fa'abla. Or you wear it and you tear it. Labisa fa'abla. You wear it, tear it. That's a very f- interesting, if you don't know the background, when you see the translation of the dua, when you see somebody wearing a new clothes, what are you supposed to say? Tubli wa yukhtifakallah. May you tear it and Allah give you more. What that actually means is that you're, may you have a long life.
Because the quality of the clothes in the past wasn't so great. So you can wear something for like a couple of decades, mashallah, if you hold on to it. Obviously, if you throw it away, if you, and when it's not in good shape, if you give it, what do we do? Donate it, na'udhu billah. Alright, so, well, but technically you can wear the clothing nowadays for a long time. In the past, it would what? It would tear up pretty soon. So, when the dua is tubli, when you see somebody wearing something new, if you read the translation, you're going to be so confused. It says, tubli, may you tear it. <laughs> Meaning, may you live so long and you wear it so long, mashallah, that it ends up getting torn. Allah and Allah give you more clothes. So, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ibn Adam says, my money, my money. He eats it, consumes it, wears it and tears it. And number three, what he sends forth in the akhirah. That's his money. Whatever you send forth in the akhirah, you have invested it. And that is investment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyway, over here, both of them presented the qurbani. Accepted from Habil. Not accepted from Qabil. How is it easy to remember is that one of them is going to end up becoming the Qatil. The Qatil of Taqaf, Qabil is Taqaf. That's the way I remember it. He said, I will most definitely kill you. This is Lam and Nun Taqid. I'm going to kill you. So this is jealousy. And uh, there's passion, lust here with the, for the woman involved. Right? In Farsi, they say there's three things that cause all the men to fight. Zan, Zar, Zameen. Zan is woman. Zar is gold. Zameen is earth, land. So battles over women, battles over gold, battles over land. Zan, Zar, Zameen. So over here, it was, Zan is there, woman is there. And there's not really much gold, Zar involved, but in Zameen. But there's Zan was there. And over here, he, uh, is, um, he was jealous as well. The brother said, how is it my fault? Allah Ta'ala accepts from those who have taqwa. You also develop taqwa, Allah will accept from you. So he says to him, If you stretch forth your hand to kill me, I will not kill you. Because I fear Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And he said, if you kill me, you will have all your sins and you, my sins, Allah will give it to you as well. You will become one of the dwellers of the fire. That is the compensation, the punishment for the zalimeen. So, The nafs overpowered him and he fell prey to his passions. And he killed him. And he became amongst the losers. Now he was worried what to do with the dead body. This is also mentioned in the Quran. Allah Ta'ala sent the two crows. And what did the crows do? They started fighting. One crow killed the other crow. And then on the crow with his beak, he started making a grave and he buried the other crow. To teach him how to bury his dead brother. He said, Woe unto me, this crow has more knowledge of what to do than I know. So, then he ended up having regret. Now, he had regret. The fact that he had nadama is mentioned in this ayah. He had regret. And the, Quran, and the hadith says that um, for every murder till the day of judgment, then this qabil has kifilum minna. He has a share in that punishment, in that sin. The share of the sin. Of every murder, because he's the first murderer. There's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Whoever establishes a good practice He will receive the reward and the reward for whoever follows Without anyone else's reward being reduced Whoever establishes a bad practice 
He will have the sin and the sin of whoever follows without the sin of anyone else. None of their sin will be decreased. So the one who established this, the practice, I mean the amal of murder, the first murder was Qabil who killed Habil. So he will have a share in every sin. That means it's confirmed that his tawbah was not accepted or he never made a tawbah. But the Quran says, That means he had regret. So he was regretful. What does that, if you put this ayah with the hadith together, then the conclusion we reach is that having regret and having a lot of remorse and having a lot of sadness is not sufficient for tawbah. It's the first part of tawbah. But tawbah only comes into existence if all the three parts, three integral parts, each one of them is necessary. Not one of three or two of three. You need all three of three to it, for it to even count as a tawbah. What are the three parts? These are the three parts called Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu tubu ilallahi tawbatan nasuha tawbatan nasuha Part one is to have sincere regret over the past. And part two is to completely stop it in the present. And part three is to have 100% confirmed intention never to do it in the future. After all three are there, then the sin is forgiven. This is the technical part. The last part I want to conclude with, perhaps I will stop here, is even though, I mean, there's many things to follow, but we'll stop here every, as every night is difficult, but you have to stop. Think about this last thing. This man here, Qabil, he killed his brother, and he had a lot of regret, but his tawbah was not accepted. And even he stopped. Why was it not accepted? It's because he did not make a firm resolution never to return to it in the future. Now what happens, right? Okay, I'm telling you, uh, up till now it was very relaxing, but from here, this last point, before we leave, you have to really focus and think about what I'm saying. Understand. There are two things that sometimes, they're both necessary, but potentially they can conflict one another. You have to maintain balance between two things. One is the ikhlas, sincerity, and the second thing is belief in the promises of Allah, ihtisab. So, how could they be conflicting with one another? For example, performing salah in jama'ah, there's five promises of Allah. One of them is that Allah Ta'ala will make the risk easy. So when we are performing salah, we have to have ikhlas that we're performing for the sake of Allah. At the same time, we have to have yaqeen and ihtisab that this will make the risk easy. Both have to be there. If, if a person believes that I'm, I'm doing ikhlas only lillahi ta'ala and he has doubt that the salah will help him in his daily bread, then he's missing out on the ihtisab portion. But if the ihtisab portion on the other hand is so strong, that could end up affecting his Niyah is ikhlas because he could end up performing salah just so that he gets an easy livelihood. All right. Um, like out of the box example of this would be when hilf um, of Quran. There are parents who literally I would never imagine such an idea, but they ended up blurting it in my face. One of the most hardest conversations we ever have in this job is when you have to tell a parent that you know your dream of the Taj and everything may not be at least not right now. Your child is what after one year we find that maintaining him in his is actually a disservice to him because it would be wastage of his time. He's not an ideal candidate for his. Perhaps later, very difficult conversation because the parents, the whole dream of the Taj is taken away. So uh, we have to break it in the nicest way possible. Perhaps, you know, uh, we feel that continuing to keep this child in his when he's not progressing at all, we tried so many different things, it's just not working out. Maybe later at some other stage, he should go back to school perhaps or do part-time. So one of the uh, parents, he said that, oh my God, what's going to happen? Because I knew that if he becomes a Hafiz, then it'll become easy for him to get the direct medical program. 
because you know his his memory will increase so much that it will help him for his MCAT and his boards and everything. Because Hufaz he scores so well in that. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen about the medicine? You telling me he's not going to get direct medical program? I said I wasn't talking about that, right? <laughs> uh, so so the so the thing is. We, we, ha- we, ha- we have to have yaqeen that waqi, honestly, if you exercise, you know, you use it, you, you know, build it, and you, lo- you lose it. If you, ab- if you leave it, you lose it, right? So if you don't, if you, you just close one eye, perfect eye, you don't use the eye, then what happens? You become blind in the eye because you don't use it. If you don't use one arm, you lose the muscle. So you use the brain, the more you use it, what happens? The more, you know, so the more you memorize the Quran, it opens up your brain. If you can memorize the Quran, you can memorize anatomy, physiology, microbiology, pharmacology, all of that will become easy. So, we have to have yaqeen in that promise of Allah, and at the same, but at the same time, we have to have what? Ikhlas. That we're becoming a hafiz for the sake of Allah, not for the sake of so I, I can enter medicine, right? You know what I'm saying? So, these are two different things. Ikhlas and ihtisab. So, what happens is, these things compete. Now, what, over here, well, the reason I remember that is because f- we have to. There are two things here. One is that if a person made a toba and he broke his toba, then can he make a toba again? Yes. Then uh, if he breaks his toba, can he make a toba again? Yes. If he breaks the toba, he can make a toba again? Yes. He can continue. So if a person says, Astaghfirullah, Allah, I ask your toba, please forgive me for the sin I committed, Allah will forgive all the sins. What is the hadith? The one who repents from a sin is like the one who never committed it. He has to believe in this hadith. And he also has to believe in the fact that if he breaks his toba, then Allah will also, will also uh, if he breaks his toba, Allah could punish him. But if he makes toba another time, Allah will forgive. For example, if you, made a, if you committed a sin and you said, Oh Allah, forgive me, it's forgiven. Is there a limitation now? Next time you break it, you do the sin again. Can you still make toba? Yes, you can. And if you make toba a second time, what will happen? Will Allah forgive you? Yes. Then if you break the toba a third time, can you make toba again? Or is there khalas? You have exhausted all limits. You, no, there's no sub, It's open, right? Till when? In, like we said yesterday, malam until you die. So we have to uh, believe in the fact that as many times as I break the tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will what? For, will, is ready to forgive me every time I make the tawbah once again. So that knowledge is on one side. But for these tawbahs to count, all of these tawbahs that he's doing, each time for that tawbah to count, it has to have the three parts to it. What are the three parts? Number one, he has regret over the past. Number two, he has what? Leave it in the present. And number three, he has to have what? Firm conviction, firm resolution, azam al-musammam, never to do it in the future. So, every time when he's making tawbah, if he's thinking, yeah, I have regret of the past, and I'm going to leave it now, but alhamdulillah, I have a safety net. What's that? If I break it, in the, if I end up making the same mistake again, Allah will forgive me, because all the hadiths tell me that. So, I'm okay even if I do it in the future, because I'll just have to ask Allah for forgiveness once again. So what happened? The third condition for the tawbah to count is not present. So every single time he's making tawbah, in the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, if I end up doing the sin again, I'm going to ask forgiveness again, and it'll be okay. So every time he's doing tawbah, and he thinks he's zeroing out balance, zeroing out, zeroing out, zeroing out, nothing is zeroing out. All those sins are amassing, amassing, amassing. All of those 10, 15, 20, 30, 120, 30, 1,000, 10,000 tawbahs are all zero. 
all the sin is continuing, continuing amassed. Because none of those tawbahs count. Because none of them, he had the firm resolution never to do it in the future. After, if you make a sincere tawbah with all its integrals, meaning the three parts, including the most important, difficult one, 100% confirmed resolution, I will never do it, no matter what. Then the nafs and the shaitan overpowers a person and he ends up breaking it. He can make another sincere tawbah. But every time it has to be absolutely sincere. This is the problem. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to balance these two things. We have to have yaqeen that Allah, if I end up breaking my tawbah, Allah will forgive me. But at the same time, the tawbah has to be a genuine tawbah, which includes the element of what? Having a firm resolution never to commit it in the future. I hope this was not too complicated. Inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us to become among those who repent to Him in the true manner. And I'll take a question on, offline. وَأَخْرُ دَعْوَانَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ